This is Out of Office for Thursday the 22nd of August 2013. Bring your own device or BYOD. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. What's been happening the last month for you? Busy with work, as always, but in a good way. Yeah, great. Great to hear that. Uh, I came across something recently, Chris, which I thought is not really related to our topic for today, but I thought it was kind of interesting, and I thought I'd share it because it is definitely related to the out-of-office work style. It's an app. It's at the moment only available on iPhones and iPads and on, on the Mac as well. It's called Coffeetivity. And uh, I remember a while ago, I'm not sure whether we shared this on the podcast, but I remember talking about the idea that uh, some people like working in cafes, and there's some research that actually supports the idea that when you're working with the ambient noise of a cafe, it can actually increase your productivity and I think even creativity. So it's better than silence and it's better than noise because noise is distracting and silence can be a bit unnerving, but having the ambient noise of a cafe can be really helpful to you. And this app called Coffeetivity allows you to, it just plays the background music of a cafe. And I thought that's a really interesting idea in a quirky way. It's a quirky app. It's an interesting way to give you the feeling of being in a cafe without all the all the pesky other customers tripping over your uh, cables and uh, without having to fill yourself up with caffeine. I like it, Gihan. And does it actually have the smell of a cafe? I think that's an important component as well. <laughs> yes, well, if you smell of coffee, yes, but there's some other smells that you wouldn't want in a cafe. <laughs> Very good. So coffeetivity.com, so C-O-F-F-I-T-I-V. I-T-Y, coffeetivity.com. You can download the app there. Cool. And we'll include a link to that on the blog post, blog post as well. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So as, as we said uh, at the start, at the top of the show, that today is going to be about the idea of bring your own device or BYOD, uh, as, uh, which is, which stands for bring your own device. Although one of our colleagues and friends, she said that in her workplace, it's uh, referred to as bring your own disaster. <laughs> and uh, and the idea, the basic idea is that there are a lot of people now who have their own devices, their own smartphones, their own tablets, their own laptops even, and they use it for personal use and just a, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there that they'd like to use for professional business use as well. So they want to bring their own device into the workplace, which is kind of a new idea. It always used to be the fact that it was uh, you go into the workplace and you use work equipment, but now that everyone's got their own computer that they carry around with them in the form of a phone or a tablet, they want to bring it in as well. And so there's this, this big topic of BYOD, bring your own device, and what are the implications there. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the pros and cons, and then we'll we'll discuss an article that we came across which talked about 10 things to consider when you want to implement BYOD in your workplace. Yeah, but um, BYOD, Gihan, it's often discussed in the context of standard working in an office, so it would seem on the face of it that it's not particularly relevant to out-of-office workers. But in fact, out-of-office involves several different work styles, and one of those, the semi-commuter, who's a person who works uh, part-time remotely and part-time in the office, BYOD is going to be particularly relevant to them because it means that they can use the same devices that they work with at home, as they work with when they're in the office. And also, for digital nomads, another one of the out-of-office work styles, if they're working with a client who has a BYOD policy, that means that the digital nomad can bring along their own equipment and they can uh, get to work straight away. They don't have to rely on being set up with special equipment uh, on-site that allows them to access the the client's uh, online resources. 
It's perhaps not so relevant for the third work style, the e-commuter, the full-time telecommuter, someone like me who works pretty much full-time uh, out of office, but uh, a little bit more on that later. And in addition to the work styles, much of the technology that makes out-of-office possible, so things like the cloud and mobile devices, also enable BYOD. So many of the principles that we talk about when we talk about the out-of-office work style also apply to BYOD. However, I said that I'm, I'm an e-commuter, so BYOD is not so relevant to me, but recently I guess I was a bit of a digital nomad, Gihan, and I went to work on site for uh, my main client. So I spent a couple of weeks in the UK and Switzerland, and when I was on site, I took with me um, a notebook PC, I took my Android tablet and my Android smartphone, and all three of those devices I was able to work with on site because they've got a, a kind of BYOD policy. I was able to connect to their guest Wi-Fi network and, and access online resources, and also some of the tools that I use to access stuff that's behind the corporate firewall, I could also uh, use to get access to corporate data. And I also noticed that many of my uh, full-time office-bound colleagues also were using their own devices. So many of them had smartphones. There were people with using their own um, iPads. And one of the guys I worked closely with, he had his own high-end MacBook that he was using for development because the standard desktop PC is pretty mediocre bit of hardware. And he was able to be much more productive by using his uh, high-performance MacBook rather than the standard uh, standard issue kit. Yeah, you make a good point there, Chris, that, that, you know, you said for yourself, you're not, the, you're not the sort of person who needs to think about BYOD most of the time, but occasionally you do. And I think that's true of everything we're going to discuss today, that the whole concept of BYOD seems to be something that's big corporate. And what we're talking about today is absolutely relevant for big corporate, but it's also relevant for small businesses as well and the independent contractors and the sort of situation you described. So um, even though it may not be called BYOD, the principles still apply. Yeah. So let's jump into, actually before we jump into those 10 things, let's look at some of the pros and cons. And um, we talked about uh, when you were assigning roles for what we discussed here, Chris, so we're going to do good good cop and bad cop, and that's you're going right. to do the good cop, so that's, that's good. So let me, let me talk about some of the benefits of BYOD, and then you can shoot me down in flames. <laughs> so, I mean, you look at it uh, from both the worker's viewpoint and from the employer's viewpoint. So from the worker's viewpoint, having your own device, there's some obvious benefits, like you have you have much greater choice and freedom in how you work, and you can be more productive because you're using some equipment that's familiar with you, uh, familiar to you. You're only carrying around one piece of equipment. Uh, I have a number of friends who work in organisations, and they they carry two phones. They carry a work phone and a personal phone. So at a very simple uh, at a very simple level, you actually uh, reduce the amount of material that you. Uh, devices that you carry around with you that you have the potential to lose. So those sort of things can be really, really helpful. Um, and it can save you some money as well. Um, if the employer pays for the cost of some of your devices, and I've seen some advice that says they should pay two-thirds and you pay one-third, then it can actually be cheaper for you to have your own personal technology and have it subsidised by your employer. And there might be some tax benefits as well. And we're certainly not tax lawyers or accountants, so we're not suggesting that you should automatically claim that, but you should talk to your accountant about that because there may be some benefits in using your personal devices for at least part-time for business or professional work. So that's from the employee's viewpoint. From the employer, you also get some of the benefits of those, those benefits carry over. So you do get greater productivity from, from your employees because they're using devices that they're familiar with. And they do get to work out of office and out of hours. And that's a little bit to do with mobile 
uh, devices, not necessarily BYOD, but it does encourage them if they're on the iPad and they're doing something, that they're checking Facebook, they might also get a work email at the same time and they might just spend a few minutes addressing that. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that Gen Ys kind of love this and as an employer, if you do encourage and you, you're proactively promoting the idea that they can bring their own devices to work, it can be a really big, uh, big help for the Gen Ys and can be something that attracts them to the workplace and, and keeps them there. And finally, uh, from an expense point of view, it can actually save you some money as well because, again, the employee is subsidizing the, the equipment that they're using. And, and as well as that, you don't have to spend time and money in some of the other infrastructure costs that you would if you're managing everything yourself. Very good, Gihan. So over to the dark side. So some of the disadvantages of BYOD, and I'll start with the perspective of the worker, is that once you're using your own device for work, it enables you to work out of office and out of hours. So there could be the tendency to overwork. as uh, That's a problem we've talked about in the context of out-of-office work, uh, but uh, now it's uh, anyone who has a BYOD policy uh, can also be exposed to the tendency to overwork. So you just have to set some clear guidelines about uh, personal time and work time. You might also have to cede some control of your personal devices to uh, your employer. So if it's done properly, that might not be too onerous, but it might involve installing some software uh, on your device that uh, enables security and antivirus uh, mechanisms. It also means that you're going to have some extra IT responsibility because you've got a device that you're now using at work, so there might be important data on it, so it might mean that you have to ensure that you're doing proper backups, that you've got proper security software installed, and that you're keeping your apps and operating system up to date. And then uh, another issue that arises is compatibility. So there are a variety of different devices with different operating system on them, from Apple to Windows to Android, and each of these can have different versions of software installed. So there could be some issues around compatibility between the different flavors of operating systems and software and the different vendors of those tools as well. Turning to the employer's perspective, uh, a lot of the discussion of BYOD is around security. So there are a lot of different aspects to that. Firstly, there's data security. So you now have data and information on personal devices of your employee, of your employees. So if those devices aren't properly secured, then there is a risk that uh, hackers could get access to that data and uh, make off with it. Then there's problems around computer security where you have a whole bunch of devices that if they're not properly secured uh, can get infected with viruses. And then the reciprocal of that is that devices can be brought into the workplace, can connect to the corporate network, and if they're infected with viruses, then those viruses can be set loose uh, behind the corporate firewall onto the corporate network. So all sorts of measures around securing the devices and your network and your data need to be taken care of. Now, to have a BYOD policy takes time and effort and cost to manage and implement and maintain and review. That uh, that obviously is going to cost time and money, so uh, hopefully the costs aren't greater than the benefits that you get from BYOD. And finally, there are some potential legal, consequ legal consequences. So if people are using tools like Dropbox or other cloud storage um, um, offerings to put data onto, then it might mean that that data is being stored on um, 
on service in foreign countries and corporations do have legal obligations in some um, some areas to make sure that all their data is held within a particular uh, a particular country or jurisdiction so it's important to make sure that uh, uh, those those legal requirements of the corporation or business are adhered to when you have BYOD. Yeah, no, thank you. So that's, uh, you call it the dark side, Chris, and it is like it's scary. Some of those things, and so some of these things are things that organisations are just facing for the first time. When, and when everything is completely enclosed and internal, then uh, organisations and the IT departments feel they've got control of everything, and suddenly BYOD just opens up the potential for lots and lots of problems. Mm. So let's let's look at some of those things, and if, what we're going to do is look at these. Uh, there's a really interesting article I read on Lifehacker, which quoted some Gartner research uh, about BYOD or a Gartner presentation about BYOD, and it was it's about how to make BYOD work better. So we're going to say yes, there are some problems, but let's look at how to make that work for you in your organisation, so that you can facilitate people being more productive and actually working, giving them more freedom and choice. So there, there are 10 items in that, so we're just going to go through them one at a time, and we'll, let's take them in turn, Chris, and uh, and you've grouped them in a nice in a nice sequence, so I really appreciate that. Uh, so we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each of these, but we will cover some of the main issues that BYOD raises and how to address them. Okay, so the first one is uh, just... The first thing is just a philosophical thing more than anything else, and that is believe that it's possible. So be be positive about this. Believe that you can do it rather than automatically assume that it's going to cause a sort of problems. And it's always a, it's always a good place to start with because I think IT people, it's interesting Like the IT programmers and the designers tend to be very creative and they have a can-do attitude, whereas IT departments tend to have the opposite. They're very risk-averse and they're defensive and they want to prevent things from happening because they understand some of the risks that are involved with computer security and data security, uh, but it, it might take a bit of a mind shift change for them uh, or mindset change for them to go, okay, yes, we can do this rather than automatically say, no, here are the risks. Yeah, absolutely. The second uh, second um, point from uh, that presentation was to try and maximise freedom of choice. So if you're having a bring-your-own-device policy, uh, try and allow people to bring the devices that they own and want rather than saying something like, well, we have Windows software and Windows hardware uh, in, at work, therefore the only devices that you can bring are Windows smartphones and Windows tablets. Uh, it's not really a bring-your-own-device, especially if it's Windows, because I don't think many people actually have Windows smartphones or Windows devices outside Microsoft employees. So try and uh, be as broad as possible and allow people to bring their iPads and iPhones and Android tablets tablets and Android smartphones and uh, their Windows devices as well if they, if they have them. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to be much of a BYOD policy if you've been restrictive in, in the types and, and makes of the devices that people can bring in. That's right, but that is challenging, isn't it? Because if you, if you say, let's, let's say, say you can bring your own device as long as it's an iPad because we understand iPads and we can control what's, what's done with them, then that's easier to manage than saying you can bring any device you like and we have to make sure that our uh, policies and our implementations, software-wise and hardware-wise, are strong enough to be able to manage that. That's much harder. Yeah, so you can see why there would be a tendency, uh, a tendency towards that sort of restriction, Gihan. But I think some of the later points that we talk about, where we focus on data, for instance, um, help to... Uh, broaden your BYOD policy by making the focus not be on the devices and the tools that people use, but rather on the information that they work with. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yep, and we will get to that. You're right. So the third thing is this idea of uh, IT departments, organizations wanting to control everything. Mm-hmm. So the, the principle is don't try to control what you don't own. So if the if the device is owned by the employee, let them have control of it. You've got to teach them how to use it well, and maybe you need to install something, uh, software on there to help to facilitate them using it better. But don't take responsibility for that. Uh, let them take responsibility with the appropriate education around it. Yeah, yeah. So I think this whole section, Gihan, is really about control, isn't it? That uh, and believing that it's possible. That, that was the first point that we made. Uh, where, as you said, IT departments are really about trying to control and lock things down, lock things down as much as possible. And it really is counter to their nature to have things like BYOD, where they give people freedom to bring their own devices of any type, and it must be quite scary for them. Yeah, and exactly, and that's why, like our colleague who refers to it as bring your own disaster, yeah. because yeah. That, that's that's automatically what they're thinking about, and that's right. That's IT departments should be thinking about that, but not necessarily at the exclusion of everything else. It should yeah. be a priority, but not necessarily a blanket policy. Yep. Okay. Our next, uh, the next four points uh, all focus on data, and the, the guy who uh, from Gartner who presented uh, presented this talk. He said that the idea should be to manage information rather than applications because a business's value is in the information and data that it has, not in the applications and the tools that they use to work with that data. So if you start looking at uh, BYAD from the perspective of the information people are working with, then um, you're less focused on the applications and tools that people are using, including the devices that they're, that, that, that they're using those tools with. So that gives you a lot more freedom in the kind of devices that you can use and the kind of applications that you can manage your information with. Yeah, that's right. And the next point follows on from that, which is to move your data into the cloud. So it's not just not only just focusing on the data, but make sure the data is accessible basically on the Internet. And we've been talking about the whole idea of the cloud ever since we started talking about this whole concept of out-of-office because it really does facilitate the out-of-office work style, but it very much facilitates BYOD as well because if you put your data online, then it, it solves a number of problems, Chris. I mean, the obvious one is different formats because everyone's accessing the same data. They're presumably accessing it even with different tools, but they're accessing the same actual physical can I say physical? <laughs> the, same, the same piece of information rather than everyone having their own copy. And that's the other thing. You don't have to worry about people share, uh, taking copies of stuff, putting them on USB sticks, and then having to share them around, having problems with compatibility because everything's in the one place and is accessed through the cloud. So as much as you know, we, we love the idea of putting information in the cloud for the out-of-office work style, but it's great for BYOD as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned Gihan formats uh, by putting things into the cloud that you, that you that you've um, that you focused on a particular format, and and that's another important idea is to focus on the data formats rather than the tools that people are using to to work with information. So rather than saying that uh, people need to work with Microsoft Office files, uh, focus instead on the idea that people need to edit documents and uh, that they don't have to use, sorry, rather than saying that people have to use Microsoft Office, they have to use Word and they have to use Excel, focus on the idea that people need to edit documents and people need to work with spreadsheets. And in doing so, then you're focusing on the data and the formats that they're in rather than the tools that they have to use in order to do that. 
Yeah, great. And and related to that is the next point, which actually uh, I'd be interested in your opinion about this, Chris, because I think I partly agree with this one. And the the point is embrace open standards. So as much as possible, use data that are available using open standards, because if you have a closed format, then it's much harder to share across different platforms. And I kind of I get the principle behind that, which is that you want something that if somebody is coming in with an iPad, then they can still access it uh, the same as if they're coming in with an with some sort of Android tablet or a or a Windows phone, but I'd rather say embrace common standards, so things that are that are popular and available widely across different platforms, even if they're not open, they might be good enough. I remember way back in the computer science days, Chris, there was a there's a quotation from some famous computer scientist that said mm-hmm. the great thing about standards is that there's so many of them. So many to choose from. That's so right. So many to choose from. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, look, and I think that now, even if it's not open. If it's if it's familiar and common and popular among a number of platforms, that might be good enough. So you don't want to choose something that's only available, say, on iOS, so that only Apple Apple users can use it. But equally, if it's available on iOS, Android, and Windows, that's probably good enough for 99% of what you need for BYOD access. Yeah, this is a it's an interesting point, Kihana. And uh, so so for instance. Um, the way that I was thinking of this particular point was, if you were to say mandate uh, that your documents are all in Microsoft format, then that's that's kind of like a de facto standard. So OpenOffice and LibreOffice and some of the Android um, productivity tools and Google Drive can generally work with Microsoft Office file formats. Um, there are there is an open format. I think it's called ODF. But I think even though that's an open standard, I think fewer tools would work with that particular file format. So I guess it's about using, as you say, a common format, one that's going to, that you're going to be able to work with the most kind of devices and the widest variety of tools as, and that's not necessarily going to be an open one. Yep, exactly. That's a perfect example of exactly what I meant. Yep. Cool. All right, so that's uh, data, and the next one, the next group of points is all about security. So we mentioned that some of the cons of BYOD, some of the dark side of BYOD is all about the risks you face in losing data or being infected with viruses. So the first point is to ensure that your data, that's where your business value is, that your data is encrypted whenever possible. So that means when you've got mobile devices being used, you have to have good password practices. There are some tools that allow you to remotely wipe data from from devices if they happen to get stolen or or are lost. so, as I said, that might be one of the onerous things that you've got to cede some control of your device to the corporation to allow them to be able to uh, have these remote wipe uh, systems in place. Yeah, and I think this, it's really interesting that in this Gartner presentation, in all of these 10 tools, uh, 10 ideas, this is the one about security, about making sure your data is encrypted. But I'm surprised that Gartner didn't focus more on the security issues because, of course, that's the biggest concern of IT departments and, and organizations and, and their CIOs because it seems like a big issue. And uh, they've, all they're saying is encrypt your data. Uh, they're not saying much more than that, like encrypt your devices and t- or rather teach people how to encrypt their devices. And I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, I, some of the other articles that I read, Gihan, one of the, some of some of them were really focused on this data thing, and they were they were almost entirely devoted to locking down devices and and having encryption and password policies and remote wipe facilities and all those sorts of things, and they seemed so focused on that. Uh, 
that it seemed quite restrictive and not uh, about BYOD so much, which I think is why I quite like this particular article because it focused on some of the other aspects of enabling BYOD. Um, so yeah, it was it, it is unusual in that regard. Yeah, that's that's right. And in, in fact, if we were going to add an eleventh one, I think that's the one I'd add. Uh, I'd add, which is to teach your teach your employees to be very very careful with the data and with security. Sorry, um, including data and their apps and just managing the devices, doing backups. And we've talked about this in the out of office book, Chris, and in in past podcast episodes. But it really is important, and most people don't think carefully enough about that. Uh, it's nice that some of those things are automated now. So, for example, if you use Dropbox, uh, it'll automatically back up your photos and your videos uh, that you take on your phone or your tablet. It'll back them up automatically to Dropbox. You don't have to think about that. Uh, so some of that stuff is automatic, but some of it isn't. And yeah. some of it you just take for granted. Yeah. There's an article, one of, this, one of the articles that you referred me to, Chris, uh, linked to another article, which is talking about online banking. And it said that that, that whole idea of that, that two-factor authentication is no longer as effective anymore. So just to explain what that means. It's the you've probably done this yourself. If you if you do online banking and you want to make a payment to somebody for the first time, uh, many banks online banking systems will now send you a code to uh, by SMS to your phone, which you have to then type in. So you're on your PC, you're on online banking, you're going to make a payment. It says we've sent you a code to your phone. Type in that code. And you get the SMS, so it just proves that it, like if somebody hacks into your uh, online banking account, then they can't make a payment to themselves because they don't have your phone. They don't yeah. receive the SMS. But now more than half of uh, online transactions in Australia are done from phones. So if somebody steals your phone, they can access your online account and they get the SMS. Yeah. So all of that, that security or that 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 is really people are lulled into false sense of security there because uh, those sort of things are, are just becoming more common now where people are using the same devices for both. And again, until I saw that article, I didn't. Uh, when I saw that article, I thought, "Wow, actually that's true." I've always thought that that was a good security feature, but maybe it's not as secure as I thought. Yeah, it's just this shift in focus to mobile platforms, Gihan, mobile devices. So many more people are um, using mobile devices for banking and for work. Bring your own device. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's a bit of a tangent, but apologize for that. <laughs> so let's get back on track. So we're talking about security still, and the, the point that Gartner makes here is to license individuals, not their devices. So when you think about giving access to people, giving access to your network, you've got to think about who's licensed to use it. And the point they're making is don't license the devices because people do change their devices frequently. And uh, for, for various reasons, but make sure that the licensing is to the individual so you know who's authorized to access your network, who's got access to software, who's got access to certain applications and the data. But it's very much about the who rather than the device that they're using to access it, because otherwise it's going to be a real pain when they change their device. And it's just going to become a burden for IT departments to manage, uh, which means it's just one extra factor against them implementing it in the first place. Yeah, and the, this final point, authenticate people and applications, follows on from the one that you've just uh, you've just made, Gihan, because as well as people changing their devices uh, on a frequent basis, people also um, swap devices between people. So we've got a tablet at home, and I use it, and my wife Cherie uses it, and my daughter uses it as, as well. So uh, 
if the device is authenticated, that doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's using the device is authenticated. So you've got to make sure that the authentication is based on the identity of the person or and or the application that's accessing the information. Yeah, that's right. And when I first read this, I was thinking, okay, what's the difference between the licensing and the authentication? And it is quite different. So, you know, you might have a software license that you've got the license to use it, Chris, and but, but that's your license. So you've got the license to use it and you can use any device, any application to use it, whereas authentication is more around the security of that where it just says, have, a, have you got the right to log in and access this data? That's right. Yep. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So those are, those are 10... Uh, expanding on the 10 things that came from that Lifehacker article. And, of course, we will have a link to that in the blog post for for this particular episode. Absolutely. Uh, Is there anything that you wanted to add, Gihan? Look, I think the main thing is uh, comes back to the very first point, which is just believe it's possible. And for out-of-office workers and for workers in general, it's going to be the way of the future. So um, you can resist, 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 and... You should be cautious about it. You should be cautious about implementing a BYOD policy in your organization. And maybe there are some organizations where it, where it shouldn't be implemented, where the security restrictions are so, where the security is so important or the, the risks are so great or the legislation just is so restrictive that you shouldn't have it. But that's, I think that's a minority of organizations. Uh, for most organizations, they do have some requirements, but those requirements can be managed as long as they're thought through properly uh, in a BYOD environment. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, for more information on, not so much on BYOD, but on uh, its its parallel, Out of Office, you can go to outofofficebook.com where we have a blog and you'll find uh, some notes for this particular podcast episode uh, on that blog as well as lots of other useful information as well. And you'll also find links where you can buy the out-of-office book. Now, Gihan, I think we're down to a handful of print editions of the book. And I think in our last podcast, you promised that we were going to sign uh, any purchases, any, anyone who bought the last remaining copies would get a signed, signed copy. Is that That's still right. Hold? That's right. They can get my autograph. <laughs> Appreciate me now and avoid the rush. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, if you're not so bothered about whether you get a signed or initialed version of the book, then there are infinite infinite copies of the ebook, and we've also got links to where you can purchase the ebook version of Out of Office. So that's outofofficebook.com. So it's been good talking with you as usual, Gihan. In a month's time, we'll have another episode of the Out of Office podcast. So I'll speak with you then. That would be great. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.